0: This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now here's Mary Stirk.
1: When it comes to tax season, people are often overwhelmed with just trying to gather all the information and get their taxes done. But it doesn't often leave them enough time or mental bandwidth to figure out how they can actually create a strategic tax plan for themselves. So we wanna give you some tips and tricks to think about how to reduce that potential tax bill And we will talk about how you can potentially save thousands of dollars in taxes a year if you're paying attention and doing things strategically. With me today, I have Kelsey Banke. Kelsey is a CFP with us at Stirk Financial. Hi, Kelsey. Hello, Mary. So when it comes to tax planning, there's a lot of mystery, (laughs) I guess I would say. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) I would
0: agree. It's this kind of big, scary thing. Taxes is is kind of a scary thing because there's so much that is murky about the tax code that we're not real sure how to, to take advantage of.
1: Right. And you know what? Here's my personal opinion. I don't want anybody to pay a dollar more in taxes than they have to. <laughs> I want you to pay what you're supposed to pay, but I don't want you to pay more than you have to. And that can be good advice, but it's tough to eke out every deduction credit or, you know, income adjustment that you deserve. So we thought we'd take this opportunity to kind of get you thinking about some strategic ways that you can, um, it decrease that tax bill, and then that keeps more money in your pocket and uh, keeps you moving towards a stronger retirement plan overall. So one of the things that people tend to know is that um, you might be able to deduct some of your medical expenses, right? So you have to have enough medical expenses to be able to deduct them. Um, and the <clears throat> it has to be more than 10% of your adjusted gross income. Right? So, if you have some health issues, you have some health problems, then this is a pretty common one that people already know about. But what people don't necessarily know about is that if you are itemizing your medical expenses, you can deduct 19 cents a mile. That was the number for last year when you're using your car for medical reasons. That is a very overlooked thing. So, if you have to travel, in order to get medical care. um, There's a lot of people where we live in the Midwest that go up to the Mayo Clinic.
0: Absolutely. Um, My in-laws traveled up there from Missouri because that was where they found the best plan. And they put a lot of miles on their vehicle. That
1: adds up real quick. Absolutely. And most people are not even conscious of the fact that they can use those mileage as part of that number to get to that um, itemized deduction or to increase the deduction that they're able to do. So besides your actual cost of doctors, diagnoses, or dealing with the medical professionals, you can include the cost of your car, you can encost the meals and lodging at a hospital or similar institution if your main reason for being there is to receive medical care, okay? And that's straight out of the IRS rules. So if you have medical expenses that are significant enough to be able to deduct on your taxes, you might be able to look at those rules and broaden what it is that you're deducting to reduce your tax bill even further. Okay. Another thing that people are pretty aware of that you can um, deduct is the amount of cash or goods that you've donated to charity. And we've spent time on this show before talking about ways to deduct things and ways to give to charity, okay? But there are some other expenses that people don't necessarily think about when it comes to charity that you can deduct. So Kelsey, share with our listeners some of those things that you can do.
0: Well, deducting mileage um, for driving to and from charitable events or doing um, charitable work. So if you're a Meals on Wheels person and you're driving a lot, that might be something you would talk to your tax professional about. Um, If you're making meals or... um, other things to take to a soup kitchen or something else that would be a tax-exempt organization. That's something you'd want to keep track of is the ingredients you you used for that. Um, so a lot of people are very aware of the cash or the the large-dollar things that they are donating, but there's a lot of other things that you might be doing through your service that would create tax-deductible um, items for you or, or mileage.
1: Right, now keep in mind that if your contribution totals more than $250, you'll need some kind of acknowledgement from the charity documenting the support that you provided, but you'll want to keep your receipts for things that you don't necessarily think about with the charity. You know, and if you're traveling on behalf of the charity, you can deduct things like the airfare, the bus fare, train fare, you can deduct any out of pocket expenses for your car, taxi fares, lodging, or meals, and all of that goes towards your support. One of the things um, that I know that happens in our community is that people sit on a lot of committees to do fundraising for different organizations, and I know that those committee people do a lot of work driving back and forth to meetings, going to pick up donations from people who are making donations to auctions or you know things like that, and all of those things when you're when you're doing that for the charity can be something that you deduct on your taxes if you're keeping track of it.
0: Yeah, or if you're picking up a special guest from an airport or something Uh like that. I've done that in the past. Drove down to Omaha, Nebraska to pick up a special performer, um, and that was for a charitable event. Those things you
1: should keep in mind as well. Okay. So that kind of takes us through the charity. Now, there's another thing that I think is particularly important to states that don't have an income tax, and that that is you can choose to deduct your state sales tax, okay? So, you might not be aware that you have the option of deducting your state and local sales taxes rather than your state and local income taxes. So, you have that option, and if you deduct your income taxes, that's probably going to be bigger if your state has income tax, but if your state is one that doesn't have an income tax, you can deduct if you itemize the sales taxes, okay? So, that when I say that, what I'm saying is, let's say you had a big purchase. Let's say you bought a boat or a car or something like that, maybe an airplane, <laughs> if you're like me and, and like to fly around, then um, you can have a sales tax deduction Um, on a state-by-state basis. So talk to your tax preparer about that one because that's a little bit trickier. But if you have a big ticket item that you paid a bunch of sales tax on, you have the ability to do some deductibility on that that's unusual if you live in a state that doesn't have an income tax. Okay. All right. So the other thing that you can do is deduct some state personal property taxes. So if you have personal property taxes on cars or boats or other personal property, they have to be based on the value alone, but you might pay a yearly fee for them that's based on the value, and you can deduct part of that on your taxes. So just kind of be aware that there's some unique things that once you get to the point where you're itemizing, there's there's some things that you can look out there at to see if it's possible for you to add to those deductibility parameters. So... All right. So one of the things that I want to say is inside your portfolio, there are ways to be more tax efficient too. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we come back. But if any of our listeners are out there, would like to look at their portfolio to see if there's more tax efficient ways to manage it, then just give us a call or email us. Go out to com. You can schedule a time right on our website with us and we can help you do a portfolio review to see if there's any tax breaks that we can find and sometimes we're able to find significant ones that can save a lot of dollars of taxes or keep more of your returns in your pocket instead of being, you know, heading out to the tax man. So, we've talked about a couple good strategies already that are maybe some unexpected things that you can actually deduct strategically. But now I want to talk about um, job expenses. Now, a lot of people understand that there are certain job expenses that you can deduct, which are more normal, like uniforms or protective gear, um, travel between offices, if it's, you know, that's the only place that you're going, small tools, safety equipment, things like that. But what a lot of people don't understand is that if you're job hunting, then that is also an area where you can deduct some expenses if you're itemizing on your taxes, So Kelsey, share a little bit with us about some of the different things you can deduct if it's a job hunting expense.
0: Well, different things include resumes or uh, getting professional services to help you with your resume. There's also... Uh, different agents, agencies that will help place you in a job or help you find interviews. Any kind of expense like that that goes into you trying to find a job is something that could be deductible on your taxes.
1: Great. And also, let's just say that you have to pay for travel to a job. Maybe you're looking at a job that's cross-country and you have to go fly there and stay in a hotel for a couple of nights to do interviewing. All of that expense is deductible as well. Um, of course, it's if you're itemizing your taxes, but those are some things that people don't commonly know. So if you're in that situation where you have job expenses or if you have job hunting expenses, make sure you're keeping track of them so that you can, you know use them. Now, when it comes to jobs, that also generally brings up the concept of moving expenses. Right. Yes. So especially if you are moving quite a distance, then you might be able to tax deduct some of those moving expenses.
0: Okay. However,
1: there are a couple of tests that you have to meet in order to be able to deduct moving expenses. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, CFO in our office is moving about 15 miles she's going to be closer to our office now which will be great but unfortunately she's not going to meet these tests (laughs) to be able to deduct her moving expenses (laughs) and here's the test it's a distance test and it's a time test so your new workplace has to be at least 50 miles farther from your former residence than the main workplace of your old job so it's a 50 mile test and the time test is you have to work full time for at least 39 weeks during the first year after you arrive to your new work area. So you have to move a certain distance and you have to work a certain amount of time to be able to deduct those moving expenses. Kind of interesting, isn't it?
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, multiple things that go into that, but the mileage is one of them. So that time you're driving right. um, in the truck or the vehicles or whatever, those those miles can be included on that. Um, it according to last year's numbers, you can deduct 19 cents per mile. And that adds up if you're moving more than 50 miles away and definitely maybe multiple vehicles and things like that. So uh, I know there's always tons of unexpected moving expenses. So make sure you're tracking those if that is your situation
1: and try to save
0: yourself a little bit on taxes.
1: All right. Let's talk about some tax hacks when it comes to our favorite people. Most of the time, our children <laughs> and grandchildren. So um you know, most people understand that there's a child independent care credit that you can get. So, if you're paying for daycare for children or if you're the guardian of a grandchild and paying for daycare, then that's a pretty easy and standard, you know, tax um, deduction or credit to go after. But what a lot of people don't understand is that if you're sending your child to a summer day camp and you're working, you're doing that so you can work then you also can deduct the cost of that summer day camp because it is kind of a quote-unquote replacement type of environment for a daycare. Now, there's um, limits to it, but I don't think a lot of parents really understand that day camp that has a cost to it can be something that they're deducting on their taxes too. Yep. As long as you're paying for them to go to
0: those um, places while you work, then that's something that you should keep track of. And again, talk with your tax professional about. It might be a way for you to save on the the tax bill.
1: Yep. All right. Another thing connected to those lovely little children of ours is if you've helped them get through college and they've walked away with some student loans. So mom and dad, if you've made payments on a student loan for your child, I think they need to give you not one but two big thank yous. (laughs) And here's why. Because not only did you help them with investing in their education, but the truth of it is, is that if that student loan debt is in their name, then even though mom and dad made the payment, they're the ones that get deducted on their taxes.
0: Ooh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so let me read to you what the IRS says about this. If you are the person legally obligated to make interest payments and someone else makes a payment of interest on your behalf... You are treated as receiving the payments from the other person and, in turn, paying the interest. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Yeah, I just, I read that and I'm like, "Hmm." wow. I think that for most people, the the parent getting the deduction is going to be more valuable than the student. (laughs) Most likely. But it's a little bit of a tax act for your child (laughs) that you can make sure that they're um, taking advantage of. All right. So um, another thing is that there are a number of different education tax incentives. And so, you know, we all want children and grandchildren to go further in life than we maybe did or to further themselves with education. But the um, student loan interest is probably the most common one that we know to deduct. But not everybody knows about things like the American Opportunity Tax Credit or the Lifetime Learning Credit or the deductions for the tuitions and fees that you can get if you're if you're paying for a higher education. Okay, so when it comes to things like um, <clears throat> the your dependent children going to school or you going to school then you really want to talk with your tax professional about what are the best ones to take. Because you, you generally can't double up on a lot of them. And you want to strategically understand, do I want to take this this year? Do I want to take this that year? But you only can do some of these a certain number of years. <laughs> and so you want to be strategic about when and how you use them. So... All right, the last um, tax hack that I wanna talk about is reinvesting dividends. And the thing about this is that there's all sorts of different ways to structure portfolios. And when you're reinvesting dividends and they're buying more shares of a holding, then what you're essentially doing is raising something called your tax base. It's called a cost basis, basically. And the reason that that is important is because when you go to sell that asset, the higher the tax base you have, the less taxes you have when it's time to sell it. Does that make sense? Yep, it does. So the, um, the reinvesting of dividends doesn't necessarily help you tax-wise today, but it helps you tax-wise later. Now, there's a lot of different, um, you know, methodologies about portfolio planning. But one of the things that Kelsey and I see a lot is that in portfolios that are what are called non-qualified, meaning they're not IRAs, that people are not paying attention to the tax strategy that can be taken into into consideration when you're actually managing that portfolio.
0: Absolutely. And I would say... um... It, there's twofold on that. So, um, people aren't necessarily paying to the tax strategy on it, or they are um, only focusing on some of the taxes and giving up on their asset allocation because of that. And there's really some good management you can do inside of those portfolios to find a good balance between them. So, I'll see people hold a whole. Or, Uh, maintain a holding that has massive tax consequences far too long, therefore throwing off their portfolio allocation and with, um, due diligence and just really paying attention to it and having a good strategy, you can, um, slowly divest some of that Mm -hmm. over time, a lot of, in, in a lot of cases to maintain a good asset allocation. So, uh, if that's your situation, be diligent in making sure that you're you're finding a balance between those two things,
1: right? And if your financial advisor is not talking to you about strategic tax washing or things like that towards the end of the year, um, or if that's not part of the tax management in your portfolio, then, well, I guess maybe you should just call us. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, that that's something that people don't understand is a tax hack as well. So if you have a holding that has lost a lot of money and you have a holding that has made a lot of money, if you sell both of them, your t- net tax impact might be nothing. And that's called washing your losses with your gains or washing your gains with your losses, however you want to say that. So strategic tax management in a portfolio is really important to be able to maximize the amount of money that you actually keep in your pocket absolutely and the higher tax bracket you're in the more important this is yes
0: the more important it is because there's different ways that capital gains are taxed and the higher income
1: uh, brackets are going to be more significantly impacted all right we hope that these tax um, hacks have been valuable for you mid-year be thinking about strategy when you have a little bit more time and freedom in your brain to do so and thanks for listening to money guide with mary sterk